Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Fidoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I discuss some goings-on with the Chiefs and the NFL in general. Uh, they've made some rules on training camps and easing some restrictions in the uh, pandemic era so that coaches are slowly coming back to the building. Uh, but first, Joe, some exciting news for your daughter. She is going to be going to med school at Hofstra. Congratulations. Yeah, she's so excited. And, um, you know, you know, she's the daughter of a football player when she went to Hofstra for her interview and those initial meetings, you know, when you're applying and going through all of that stuff before you go to, you know, any educational institution. And she happened to be walking uh, through Hofstra's, uh, like they were taking them through like the athletic facility, giving them a tour. And there was a, mm-hmm. there was a jersey of Joe Namath hanging there and and believe it or not it came up in conversation and and because they were talking about you know Hofstra used to be um you know the college where the Jets went to training camp and so when she was there the um someone had said you know does anybody you know why Joe Namus jersey is hanging here at Hofstra and of course my daughter raises her hand and says well that's because the Jets used to train here and Joe Namath was their quarterback and like it just, it took a lot of people by surprise. You're like, wait a minute, what is this 23 year old girl knows who Joe Namath is and, um, and, and why the Jets were involved in Hofstra? So it was great. It, it was, it was awesome. So she, uh, the, the, her classmates, future classmates now got a, got a kick out of that. That is awesome, man. Those football ties keep going. And similarly, I mean, this is not just me trying to suck up to Joe. This is the perfect segue. Again, like you said, Hofstra used to be, um, for 40 years, more than 40 years, it was the training camp site of the Jets. Now new training camp rules um, throughout the NFL. They announced that teams will be just using training camps at their facility instead of going to faraway places. The Chiefs have been going to St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, so, Joe, uh, what, what do you think this is uh, – how, how do you take this uh, – Do you think how do you think that will affect uh, teams and specifically the Chiefs now that they'll be training at home for training camp? Well, you know, I'm sure there's a, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am put a lot of thought and, and effort into trying to decide what is going to be best for the players, the associated staff, the coaches, you know, all the support folks that go into running a camp or, you know, uh, all the people that, that, you know, are there to, to run an NFL franchise and to keep it, you know, keep it moving and keeping the grease in the machine. You know, it's I guess just to have a conversation about it. Let's let's throw out some different scenarios, right? Do, you know, when I was in training camp, you know, when we used to go to River Falls back in the '90s, you know, I was thinking I was thinking about that as we were prepping for the pod, and I was thinking, hmm, you know, you're isolated for six weeks, or at least that was, you know, Marty time was Lombardi time. That's what we always used to say <laughs> when we would go to training camp. Uh, you know, we disappear for six weeks with very little exposure to our families. And, um, you know, you wonder if that might have been better, right, to keep everybody in their own dorm room mm-hmm. um, at night. We all had singles. We all had single rooms, uh, you know, to keep everybody, uh, you know, in their own room, 
you know, limited amount of staff up there, right. That make the trip to training camp. You had security equipment, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have exposure to folks in the ticket office or, you know, any of the, what would we now we would call arrowhead facilities. So, you know, you wonder if maybe, maybe, maybe they should have kept that kind of mode, you know, or now you're bringing players home and um, you know, if, you know, it would be really hard to not want to be with your family during those several to, you know, however long training camp is, it, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how, how long it might even be at this point. Right. It might, right, it might be two weeks, 10, who knows. Right. So if they, you know, you're, you're at home with your family and you're in that circle and then you're going to the stadium and you're mixing all of these circles, right. So you're bringing together, you know, 80 players, right. Who are coming together and each of them are coming from their own home or their own family situation. And you're, you know, it's like that old saying, they said, you know, anytime, you know, in, in trying to keep the virus to, from, from escalating, I know one of the things I heard was, you know, when you're, when you're exposed to somebody, you're exposed to everybody they've been exposed to, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, now you're mixing circles, you're mixing family, you're going home each night, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe the whole keep it in one place, keep it self-contained, and then quarantine the team for a couple of weeks before they get exposed. I don't know. It's, it's such a, there's so much dialogue we could have around this, but you know, I'm sure the players are probably happy about it. I, I think it's always, a, for me, it would have been a much more comfortable environment to be at home, you know, in your, in your home facility when you're at training camp to get to sleep at home or stay at home. I don't know if the chiefs are thinking about putting the players up in a hotel you know, close to the stadium and then just having everything at Arrowhead. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out and how they try to limit the amount of, of exposure uh, because if they do want the, the team, you know, the season to be successful, and you and I already talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, if they want the season to, to, to continue to go without, you know, God forbid, you know, you know, players get, you know, and contract the virus and become symptomatic. And then you've got to quarantine them. You know, it's, it's, you're just going to be juggling of players and things going around. So they really want to do their best to minimize, mm-hmm. right. The exposure. And um, cause once it could, it would start going like wildfire, right. Once one player was infected and then it would just get to the next couple of players and the next and the next, and then maybe another team that they were playing. So, you know, I don't know. I think trying to limit those, those extra circles is, is probably going to be the best thing they can do. And maybe, you know, people a lot smarter than me think this is the way to do it. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, and I think a big part of it is it's also just an easy way. Um, we don't know whether fans will be able to go to NFL games. This mm-hmm. might be just an easy way to, to ensure that fans don't come to the training camp sites, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. whether it's people just trying to get autographs or whatever. It might be kind of a way to do that because, of course, once it's at the team facility, it's a very kind of private area that you can't get to. So, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting point that actually if you sequester them at like kind of an isolated, you think of like River Falls or St. Joe's, now maybe that would be uh, safer. But yeah, maybe there's something to the fact that like at least all the 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 people involved will be like team staff. It won't be you know the the, the college's staff or you know something. So there might be something there. You know, uh, you know, Joe. True. Something that yeah. occurred to me too was um, River Falls. We we know what Kansas City uh, summers are like or Missouri summers. Uh, can you imagine how brutal that would have been? Marty Schottenheimer's practices in that. St. Joe's oh. heat in uh, Missouri. 
some of the legacy guys that used to go to Liberty. Um, oh, you know, right, my, right. my rookie, my rookie year was the first year we went to river falls. So uh-huh. I didn't really have any perspective. Um, other than when I was in college, you know, um, believe it or not, everybody thinks because the East coast, you know, has the ocean and, and maybe more bodies of water, uh, close to it. People think that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's humid here and it's not humid in other places. Right. I remember some of those humid summers in Kansas. I mean, you you would you, you don't know where the humidity's coming from because you're you know you're kind of landlocked, right? And you're mm-hmm. in the middle of the country. Wow, they were really rough. And <laughs> and I remember they they made me think about my own growing up in the Philadelphia summers. And Philadelphia summers are brutal. I mean, uh-huh. it's generally like high humidity, high temperature. And I thought, well, when I'm going to the Midwest, you know, I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a welcome relief because we had some really hot training camps when I was in college. And, and because, you know, we would, you know, you started a little bit later than the NFL. So you were, you were really getting into the heat of the summer. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then, and then, you know, we go to River Falls and, oh, it was like heaven up there. <laughs> Very little humidity. Um, you know, the highest the temperatures ever got the hottest. I remember a day it was like 85 and everybody thought we were going to melt. And that was like beautiful compared to what was going on in Kansas city at that time. Mm-hmm. And some of the guys that were around, you know, obviously there were tons of guys around cause it was that it was only the first year my rookie year in 91 when we went to river falls, they were just, they were in heaven. They were like, Oh, I could do this. You know, I could do this all day, you know, compared <laughs> to some of those hot Liberty, Missouri, uh, you know, summer training camps. So, so I think, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I, I, I can't imagine, you know, I think now today training camps are a lot different and, and I don't think the players are going to struggle as much um, with the heat based on, you know, what they've done with the collective bargaining agreement, how many practices you can have, how often mm-hmm. you can have the pads on, but you're right, man, those Marty camps. Whew, I mean, we went, I remember going 13 days in a row my rookie year in full pads, two a days. And sometimes three, sometimes three a days because we would do special teams at night in the evenings out on the field. And, uh, I just, I just remember like wondering if this was really for me, like, you know, and then, and I don't know if I, if we talked about this story, a good training camp story, but, um, you know, Marty was happened to be Catholic and everybody knew that I was Catholic. So I was the rookie that they said, all right, they put me up to it and said, hey, ask coach if we're going to have off on Sunday for mass. Because we had gone like six days in a row of full pad two-a-days, like hitting and scrimmaging the whole nine yards. So it was Saturday night. And it's like, hey, you know, they get the, the dumb rookie to, you know, go ahead and ask. So mm-hmm. here, here I am. So I go up and I'm like, oh, coach, um, I was just wondering – um, I was wondering if we're going to be able to um, go to mass, you know, tomorrow morning on Sunday and, and uh, go to a church service or whatever. And he says, Oh, Joe, I did. You're Catholic. And uh, you know, I said, yeah, he said, uh, don't worry. We, we have a priest coming in at lunchtime. Uh, that's going to do a mass. <laughs> and they did, they did, they did a little mass for us. And then they also had some non-denominational stuff. So they were, they were trying to cater to the players to sort of, celebrate whatever you know and then back to practice <laughs> and it was right yeah we did and it was like an ex, you know usually a catholic mass is you know anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour you know hour and five minutes or something like that and we did like a five minute express mass at in the cafeteria <laughs> over in the corner so it was so funny that you know they put me up to it and it was like you know that was like coach schottenheimer's way of dealing with it and keeping That's us funny. practicing so yeah and you spent 
I, you know, given how rules have changed now, it sounds like you spent more days, more consecutive days in pads and two days than I think teams have over the whole training camp now. Yeah, totally, Jeff. Yeah, it's crazy. When, when I see, you know, I used to um, sometimes, you know, as, as things were tra- tra- changing, I would go up to, to watch the Eagles, uh, you know, training camps when they had, uh, when they were local colleges here. And even, you know, even in the, um, in the mid 2000s and, 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 and the, later in the 2000s, um, before the Eagles started going to, because uh, they used to go to Lehigh University, mm-hmm. uh, they moved around that now they're at their, they just do it at their facility in South Philadelphia and they're closed practices. So they, they, occasionally they'll go to Lincoln Financial Field and have an open scrimmage or something for the fans, right. but pretty much a closed training camp. And um, I just remember thinking even then, how much easier training camp was as, as, as the, as the union and the collective bargaining agreement continued to develop over those years mm-hmm. based on where we were. I mean, you know, when, when you went to training camp back in the nineties and, and I'm assuming it was the same way in the eighties for most teams, you went to training camp, like, and, and you actually got out of shape, like, cause you worked so hard, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You were working right. so hard. Now I think the players hit the season while we've talked about this before they hit the season, maybe a little rustier than, mm-hmm. than we used to. Uh, they definitely hit it a little bit healthier. <laughs> they're not worn than, down. They're not quite ready, yeah. but they're not worn yeah. down. Which is- yeah. Because even, even in games back in the nineties, right, just being, just being nostalgic, right. Making people think about, you know, football history and, and how it's transformed. But, you know, like even in the preseason, I mean, in the, those first preseason games, like, um, you know, the, the starters usually, usually used to play, if I'm not mistaken, they would probably play a good quarter to a half of the mm-hmm. first like game. Um, and then right in the middle of training camp, the starters would generally, so you, you go first game, second game, starters would play like a half. Um, and then you'd go to the third game. And that's what, like, I remember Marty used to treat our third game like a game. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the starters in the third game might play, they might play um, they might play a whole three quarters of that third game, and then in the fourth the fourth game they would generally depending on how healthy we were they would kind of give the starters off, and a lot of the rookies because you're getting the last look at some players before the final cuts, and then I remember the starters used to sit out a lot of that last of just the last game, but I remember they were pretty battle worn, you know the starters even even you know, going up until that last preseason game, they get a lot of reps and a lot of snaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember Joe Montana playing a good, well, you know, he was new. So, you know, he wanted to get some timing down, I'm sure with some of the players, but I remember, I remember Joe playing like halves of games in those preseasons. Now, you wow, know, now nobody he, plays in that last game or really that first game either. Yeah. They get like a quarter, you know, or a couple series and, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, we've talked about this before, not to bore our listeners, but it's, it, I think it's definitely shown in how, you know, September's not always the best football, I think. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also become a more physical, you know, draining game and, and, and with the size of the players and the speed and everything. Mm-hmm. So it, there had to be, I think there had to be that balance that they wanted players to continue to be healthy throughout the season. And safety is obviously this decision uh, to move training camps to this facility. Hey, listen, we all know that safety in this era uh, during mm-hmm. COVID times is that's the most important thing. Uh, but does this? Do you think this has an effect 
on the camaraderie of the team. If you, if you're, if the Chiefs are training uh, at their facility versus when they used to go to River Falls or then the St. Joe's, do you think that will have an effect, Joe? Totally, I, I think so. At least, at least if you can look, if it's the new normal, then we're going to have to get used to it. And, mm-hmm. and it seems to be the new normal for a lot of NFL teams to have, you know, camp at their facilities, and and maybe some of the players don't even stay um, in hotels. They they you know they they use their homes as their base. And I just remember some of the really fun things that we used to do at training camp. Um, you know, we were up there for six weeks. Uh, you know, we would go mid July, we would come home that last week in August, and um, you know, I just remember, you know, one of the fun things we used to do, uh, we used to, a bunch of the guys would usually chip in and buy an old beater pickup truck. And, you know, we used to have shuttles that would take us to the fields from our dormitories. And, you know, we, everybody would chip in, you know, 25, 50, maybe, maybe at the most like a hundred bucks and go and buy a beat up pickup truck and like we would spray paint it. Guys would, you know, Raider haters. I remember one year we, we bought this black pickup truck and we sprayed like Raider haters all over it. And, you know, it was just fun. It was fun. You know, it was fun. Guys, they would bring their bicycles. Um, you know, one unfortunate story was there was a, there was a time where we were renting mopeds. There was a company um, that came in and, um, you know, and, uh, and, 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 they mm. brought a bunch of mopeds that we could rent and Percy snow. Unfortunately, if everybody, oh, anybody ever that. remembers that probably one of the most tragic things, the player that was, you know, sort of outside of like something, you know, more major than that, but like was, was, it was hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever seen was when, um, when he, um, he broke his leg when he slid off of, off of a moped. And then Marty banned, you know, the rentals of mopeds for training camp. But, you know, up until that point, it was, you know, it was still guys would rent golf carts and mm-hmm. beater pickup trucks. They'd rent cars from the local car dealer. And it was like fun. And we had, we'd, we would take trips to the Mall of America on the few hours that we would get off. We'd go to Stillwater, Minnesota. And, you know, we'd hit, hit a, hit a uh, you know, hit a restaurant and grab a, grab a meal together. Like you were, you were locked in, man. You ate every meal with those guys. And, you know, at the cafeteria, uh, Lamar Hunt would have a big seafood night on our last day at camp. We would do a rookie show. I mean, we, we really bonded. It I mean, I think, like... I think it really a lot of chemistry that went on and definitely some of my fondest memories as hard as training camp was definitely some of my fondest memories uh, we're at training camp, so I, I hope that I hope that the players can continue to have that, have that if they keep it at Arrowhead. Who was the main Chiefs player behind, like the spray painting of the pickup trucks? Was there one or two guys that really got into it? Well, my I remember my rookie years. Maybe it was my second year in '92. Tracy Rogers uh, uh, was uh, was a linebacker, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember he got a bunch of guys together, and we all chipped in. and And, and I remember Tracy being sort of the uh, ringleader behind. Uh, uh, getting that that one year, we we got the we got the Raider hater pickup truck, and you know all the guys got a turn to spray paint it, which was a lot of fun. And then and then the coolest thing is is I remember they just left the thing there with the keys in the, in the vehicle, and like basically told people around training camp if you want to just go. Hey, whoever wants that's so cool. Fan. It was great. <laughs> it was great. Very cool. Well, while you're waiting this one out at home, you can still have fun betting with our partner BetOnline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. Bet Online still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back. 
Madden and NBA 2K simulations are going on. There's UFC. There's an online casino with poker and blackjack. And be sure to check out the final dance with roundtable interviews with ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harbour as they discuss the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, in full. So there's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Um, so Joe, we talked about how NFL is now mandating training camp at home. Kind of the other development this week uh, regarding rules and uh, safety with the NFL is now kind of easing things in, letting uh, the players who are already there, injured players could rehab. Now they've let uh, some limited staff go. The Chiefs uh, showed photos of Andy Reid and Dave Tobe mm-hmm. uh, working now back at the facility working. Uh, what what do you make of this, Joe? Well, I I mean it's it's obviously like a lot of employers, right? Um, you know. A lot of people forget that, uh, you know, an NFL franchise is it's run like a business and and it's, uh, you know, it's 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 work, you know, and and they've got uh, goals to meet and and sort of jobs to do. And I think like a lot of companies that are following the guidelines of local authorities, national authorities, state authorities, whatever, you know, the governing body is that 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 an organization or, or or a municipality or town or city or state falls under. People are uh, making making the choice to go back, and and you know I think it's it's a good sign. I think it's a really good sign for the NFL that if 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 they're opening these things up and we can see some good progress with um, you know n- no one contracting the virus or getting sick as they're as they're opening these up um, uh, with minimal uh, effort. I, I think I think it's 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 obviously needed, and they're going to have to do it. And I think they're doing it in a very systematic and and uh, careful approach, which is great. I mean, you know, we were talking about my daughter, uh, you know, who's going to college, med, med, medical college next year, medical school. And um, she's actually, she has to go to therapy. And right now she's a, she had knee surgery a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, we, we couldn't, as much as we wanted to have her not have exposure to, you know, to going into a medical facility, um, you know, she had to have that, that surgery. But I'll tell you, I've been so pleased with how vast majority of people are handling you know, trying to minimize the spread of the virus and, and, you know, everybody wears masks and they're careful and they schedule their appointments. I think, you know, we can, we can all take lessons from the people that are doing it successfully. And it sounds like the NFL is doing it right. You know, they're, they're getting the players in that need to get healthy. They can, you know, if they can spread out the workouts and and it's going to take a lot of logistics to, to do it. We're, we're struggling with at my work. You know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're a large company with thousands and thousands of employees packed into offices in various locations around the country. And we're struggling about how, you know, how are we going to come back and how are we going to minimize the risk for our employees? And, um, you know, I think, I think the NFL is really no different. They're an employer, just like any employer who has to manage their workforce and, um, and to make sure that they, they keep everybody healthy so that they can put a great product out and that we can get back to some sense of normalcy. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, how this this soft opening, you know, kind of progresses and, and, and how it works. And I'm sure that if, you know, time will tell and, and if players, you know, are getting sick and they're testing positive, then, you know, they're going to have to they're going to have to pivot the way that we've all had to pivot every at every turn during this whole pandemic. Right. 
where, where we've had to make decisions on the fly when, when things happen. So, you know, I think the NFL will do it right. And I think people, you know, I think people will start to look at, or at least when I say people, I should actually say specifically the, the, the teams, you know, they're going to look at the risk and the reward, right. Of, of what it, of what it's, you know, and then, and then try to talk with the players. I'm sure the union's going to have a voice in this. I'm sure they're at the table. I'm sure they're uh, working with, you know, labor relations at the NFL and, and the coachy, coaching uh, and the management and all the employees to see if, you know, if everybody can buy into it and, and have a stay and how they can make it work for everybody. You know, another positive sign is I got an email this week uh, from the, the Chiefs uh, PR department saying uh, this, the, the deadline to request season credentials uh, to cover every each of the games. And I, th- I thought that was a very good sign because, again, nobody knows if, if um, fans will be there, if journalists will be there, if they'll be in the press box, but they felt comfortable enough to go with that step, which is usually when this happens, I thought they might wait and see. Cause I, you know, I don't know if players are going to be interviewed in person or if uh, reporters are actually going to be there just doing their interviews via zoom. So again, so, some positive signs, this all makes me uh, very optimistic that, you know, a season will happen. And again, like, like you said, Joe, you don't know because things could resurface and they might have to pivot, but I, I, I'm pretty optimistic and view this all as good news. Yeah, I, I was, when you texted me, you had, you know, you got in your press pass, I was super excited because I do see that as a really good sign, right? They, you know, they're, they're, they're preparing for, you know, the best case scenario, which is the season starting on time. And, um, you know, that, that leads us to a lot of discussions and it's going to be really, I'm really curious to see about, um, you know, what they do with the crowds and whether they just play the game, you know, um, for television. And, um, and then, you know, some of the little minor things around that, do you, do you pump in a little crowd noise? Or do you still play music like during the intervals? And, you know, it, it, NFL players, you know, you, you get really used to that, you know, and, and um, you know, everybody, you know, it's, 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 it's not, it's, easy to get caught up in that in the crowd noise and the music and the 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 little announcements that come on and and you know just things that are happening in an nfl game because i remember you know how different scrimmages were you know like when when we were in river falls wisconsin we would travel around wisconsin you know scrimmaging other teams and um back then i I still have the t-shirt it was called the nfl's cheese league and and it was this it was this awesome uh it was a, it was the state of Wisconsin in, 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 it was cheese in the shape of the state of Wisconsin with these little mice with the different teams helmets. I can still see, oh, I, can, awesome. I can still see the t-shirt. I probably have it. And to my wife's uh, dismay, I still have that t-shirt, but uh, you know, it was this really cool thing. And so we would drive around to all these, you know, we'd go to Mankato and, and scrimmage the Vikings. We'd go to uh, Platt and scrimmage the bears. We'd go to lacrosse and scrimmage the, the, the saints. And, you know, it was like to, to be in a scrimmage where it's just like a whistle and the coach is yelling at you, like it didn't feel like football. Mm-hmm. Man, when you walk out on Arrowhead and you see that sea of red and the, and the, uh, the red coders are greeting you in, in the stream of people coming out and the, running through the banner and, you know, Eric Stone Street's banging on the drum. And, you know, <laughs> it's like it, it just um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see and to see how the players react to not to playing in an empty stadium and what that's going to sound like if you don't hear the music and the, the chanting and all that cool stuff that goes around, you know, a football game. And, 
you know, to be like a, a television camera, you know, panning, you know, the field when the player's going down and not seeing anybody in the stands, it's going to look like, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean any, I'm not being critical, but it's, it's going to look minor league, mm-hmm. right? It's going to look like you're watching some league that, you know, is up and coming and doesn't get enough fans out to the game. So it, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I, to be honest, Jeff, you know, look, I can't see fans coming to the games in September. I really can't. I, I unless they did something super dramatic where they said, you know, we're only going to sell in a lottery like a thousand tickets, and you have to sit a certain amount of rows. It'll have sections because I know just in things that I've read and some research that I've done that those tight crowd places are probably the worst mm-hmm. thing that you can do. I mean, there was a whole. I hope I saw a whole story on that game in Europe, that soccer game, right before things went really awry in Italy. Um, there was an Italian uh, game that they, they kept on and that they probably shouldn't have played, um, but it was the first time that that city had been in a Champions League game in like whatever decade maybe, right? And they, they decided to host the game anyway, and they were tracing back thousands and thousands of COVID cases to, to that game. Um, and it was – it might have been on um, – might have been on like real sports. I might have seen mm-hmm. it on there and um, on HBO. And yeah, scary, right? To think about that. I, that's my only fear is that and, and I don't think even if they have limited, uh, you know, uh, like you said, just have a select thousand or whatever, however many, and, and have them spaced out and stuff. Even then, at Arrowhead or whatever the stadium was still won't seem the same. It'll be like a shell of itself. So yeah, I just think I think if I if you know. To put a bet on it, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's going to be fans. I could be wrong, and um, you know, I, c- I could absolutely be wrong if things, you know, really continue to progress through the summer here, the way that they're going, and with the cases, you know, dropping for the majority of places in the United States. But I just, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're going to see fans. I really don't, Jeff. I, I think it's too much of a risk. I mean, it, it's I, I agree enough. with you too that that's kind of what I think will happen. But hey, a lot of time will tell, and we do have some time to figure it out. But that's what I would think too. Well, if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at believe.com and at Believe Podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.